What will I do with all that free time? How much money will I need I'm from living? Will I still be able to help my kids financially? Living on a fixed income sounds scary. Don't be paranoid. It's your retirement. If retirement uncertainties keep you up at night, you're not alone. That's why we're here, to help you let go of your paranoia and enjoy retirement full on. Making our own way. Welcome to the Paranoid Retiree Podcast, where your hosts are so paranoid about retiring, we had to make a <laughs> podcast about it. Hi, I'm Jill. I'm Greg. And I'm Ann. And we're paranoid as hell. Uh, maybe you guys are. I don't know if I am. Here's what you're in for today. I'll get the words health span tattooed across my butt cheeks. <laughs> health on one, span on the other. Tonight, you will not eat a snack. Okay, so, and how much is in a martini? Now I see changes coming in my life. Pilates for me at that time was like a gateway drug. And so I was at least emotionally healthy enough to say, okay, Greg, you can wallow in this or you can go help somebody. By the way, my suitcase always weighs more than 20 pounds, so I have a lot of work to do. I hope this episode has anything going for it whatsoever fucking ever. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Today, we'll be talking about health span versus lifespan. That's the number of days that you're healthy versus the number of days you're alive. In retirement, that could mean a lot of difference between the golden years, right? And just hanging on for dear life. Or like being a burden versus being the, the fun ant. Exactly, right. exactly It's right? a thing I'm most paranoid about in retirement. Well, this topic is gaining a lot of ground in public awareness these days. We'll break the topic into a couple different areas of prevention. We'll talk about mental health, which a lot of people take for granted, but it's truly the key to enjoying what we have in retirement. And then physical health, including some really unique perspectives on diet and exercise. So what are the keys to greater health span versus lifespan and how much control do you have over it? And how can you get started increasing your health span today to enjoy more of your retirement? Hang around. We'll be diving into it all after this. So today I'm excited because we're going to talk about the difference between health span versus lifespan. And this is one of the things that makes me very paranoid as a retiree. I think most of us have this. So we're going to talk about what we can do to increase our health span. I mean, I love this idea of health span. It's actually not something I've ever really, I personally do not know this term, but now I do, thanks to reading this book, Outlive, by Peter Atia, who's really got me onto this topic of health span versus lifespan. Yeah, you know, I never heard of it either. Well, so longevity is how long we live, and that's our lifespan also your health span which is the quality of those years how many of those years remain free 
of disease and how many years can we live in good health doing the things that we want to do as opposed to as you've said before just like being alive sitting around we have some control over this we can affect this and i think that that is something really exciting it does take a little bit of work but we're retired right so we've got some time to do it well you know that's a good point because i was doing a little research and um found from uh, some government data that over the last 40 years social security data indicates that um, the retirement age for men has declined from 68.5 to 62.6 years, and that for women, it's declined from 67.9 to 62.5 years. And so that means that we're going to be retired longer, and so the quality of life is going to matter a whole lot more. And I guess that plays right into the health span issue. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is that the gap between our lifespan and our health span is nine to 10 years, which means that we're going to be alive nine to 10 years past our health span. We can affect that in a number of different areas. So we have, as Peter Atia says, now Peter is a, a Stanford trained surgeon, also trained at Johns Hopkins. We can rewrite the narrative of decline. He says, I love that wow, idea. That's interesting. We can shorten the period of decline. Who wouldn't want to do that? So this, what you're saying then is that like um, for, for most people, uh, 10 years before you die, your life begins to suck. Yeah. Like you lose, maybe you're losing your ability to be mobile or perhaps you're losing your ability to think straight or you can't do the things you used to because you don't have the energy, the muscle, the yeah, that's what that's what it means. And how can we how can we work on that? Shorten the gap between lifespan and health span. I think that's just super exciting. And it's something I've never thought about before researching this episode. It really is. So we're gonna talk about today literally how to close this gap as that Jill's talking about between your lifespan and your health span, meaning decline will be in a much shorter period of time before death. And I think that's what we're all after is quality of life. Absolutely. I did want to mention an article on PubMed, uh, which is, you know, really information you can count on. It's from the NPJ Regenerative Medicine Journal. The article is called Longevity Leap, Mind the Health Span Gap. And a guiding principle in addressing the gap is health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease. So this is part of what we're going to be talking about today. So it's more about feeling good than just not feeling bad. Is that what that amounts to? Absolutely. I want to start this ball off by talking about diet, what you eat, what you put into your body. And as my fellow podcasters know, I have a new man in my life who happens to be a GI doc. And he was super inspiring to me. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my own personal experience with literally changing how I eat and changing my lifestyle around food. This is something that worked for me. I'm not sell it, trying to sell it to others. But what is most exciting to me is that I've actually made this huge change. And you huh. look great. And oh, you thanks. look like you feel great. And so 
you know, I think it's worth sharing for sure. I agree. He drew all these, you know, diagrams for me, sort of showing how in the standard American diet, we are constantly um, making our liver do more work than it is really evolutionarily prepared to do. You know, we have all this sugar in our diet now that just wasn't there when, uh, before. And is our body really adapted to handle all of this? We, we confuse our technological evolution with our anthropological evolution. Our bodies are pretty much the same as they were, um, what, uh, 20, 30,000 years ago. Not too much has changed, maybe a little bit. But over the last 100 years, you know, our diets have changed uh, because of uh, advancements in technology and growing food and, and transportation of food. And, you know, everything is available to everyone all the time. You didn't have sugar every day because it wasn't available to you. So you, the body hasn't changed that much. But the availability of all of these kinds of things is ubiquitous. So what I did was I now am on a low carb diet. I don't even think of it as a diet. I think of it as a way of living. What it means for me is I have eliminated essentially bread, anything other than a very low carb bread that you have to work to try and find. Oh God, this is going to be so painful <laughs> to hear. And I thought I'm going to give this a try. And I just, for the last few months, I have not been eating bread, rice, potatoes, corn, sweets. And here's the thing, folks. I have lost 10 pounds and I have most importantly to me, I felt that one of the things I needed to do to extend my health span was eliminate my sugar addiction. I'm like the kind of person that if it's 10 o'clock at night and I wanted ice cream, I would happily drive over to the grocery store, get myself ice cream. I have my favorite, you know, eclairs at a bakery downtown. Yeah, sugar is no longer just a treat. Right. I mean, people just eat sugar with everything. Don't really think about it too much anymore because we can. Sugar and salt. You know, you get up, you have a glass of orange juice and, and a croissant, and you have just blasted your liver with stuff that just really is not good for you. No doctor is has ever said anything about anything remotely like that to me, right? You know that you're not supposed to eat unhealthy and you're not supposed to eat a lot. Yeah, everybody hears this every day, all day. But what is it doing? That's the part that completely freaked me out. I really didn't think about the fact that if your liver is working so hard processing all this other stuff, that it doesn't even have the capacity to take care of the things it's supposed to, which is keeping disease at bay. So look at us and where we've ended up. I had no idea. That was really eye-opening to me. Okay, so really and, and how much is in a martini? Now I see changes coming in my life that I, you know, I'd rather kind of not know about this. If I, if I don't know about it, then, you know, I'm not going to feel guilty about now I'm going to feel guilty about everything good that I'm putting in my mouth. No way, no way. And rest assured, I will never be, um, I don't think I'll ever be that fanatic or religious about anything. I just don't have it in me to do that. Just don't. At least I don't today, but I like knowing this and I like thinking about it. I feel like, just like my mom always said, everything in moderation, I think you can think about all of these things in moderation. You know, it's true. It's true because when you hear about it, 
you don't have to dive into it like Jill, right? I know I mean, Jill you, goes whole hog. You, you were which comfortable I doing admire. that, but even the awareness that, and even that, right. is enough to help uh, expand or or increase your health span, right? Uh, yep. Even just just the awareness of it can help you steer you a little bit here or there. And I think you know most people are are like that. A lot of this awareness came from the best-selling book you mentioned earlier, Jill. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, the book's called Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity by Peter Atia. And in the book, he sort of redefines the idea longevity and what is longevity and the fact that it's not about living forever, but it's about health span and lifespan and then all these tactics you can use to, to tweak your own life. Peter is an MD. He was trained as a surgeon at Stanford. He was also trained at Johns Hopkins. So he's really got the cred. He became a little um, disillusioned with what he calls medicine 2.0. And medicine 2.0 is defined as that's sort of the medicine that, that we really all need. Like you have a heart attack, you get cancer, your uh, brain stops functioning as well. We go to our doctor and we say, how can you help us with an intervention? So medical to medicine 2.0 is like doctoring, basically. What can you do for me in, in medicine? After the bad stuff has happened. That's huh. the point. People aren't addressing it until after the bad stuff has happened and they don't give you the information or the tools. I shouldn't say that. We all have the information and the tools. We all have it. We all have worked for companies that, you know, wanted you to join the health club and the wellness program. We've all been there, but nobody really kind of sits you down and talks to you about these are the Picture, very yeah. specific kinds of things. Yeah. That you can do yeah. to prevent it. We have to think about it in advance and, and being retirees or pre-retirees, like right at this cusp of a point where it's really going to affect you because not only is it everything that you've done up to this point, but there are things you can do now, now to change it, to change the trajectory. And it isn't about a wellness plan. It isn't about getting things covered by insurance. It isn't about, you know, your doctor asks you those standard questions every single time everybody answers them. Most people probably lie about your height, your weight, how much you drink, all that good stuff. But this is for you. This is about you and what you can do to kind of think about the things that you can change to make it better and, and less scary at the end. Exciting. Right? I really love this idea of health span. Maybe if I get a tattoo, I'll get the words health span tattooed across my butt cheeks. What happened? Health on one, span on the other. <laughs> and with that crystal clear mental image, we'll be right back with Anne on exercise and health span. And we're back. And if Jill has scared the hell out of you because now you can't eat anything that you really like, we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about, and I'm not going to use the word, how can I say, exercise can be a swear word to some people. And I understand that. I fully understand that. So we're just going to talk about moving. Moving in retirement is probably the number one thing that you need to do. And the reason, and, and I know Jill and I have talked about Outlive, it's such a great book, but I loved thinking about all of this differently. So thinking about moving in the way that 
makes sense to you. If you think about right now, one of the things that he has in this book is he asks his patients to create a centenarian decathlon list. Say that twice. I hope I said the word right. Centenarian decathlon list. You said it twice. Wow. What is that? All right. So he asks his patients to create a list. He does it with them. And I'll just give you a little sample of what he's thinking about. But they are things that you want to be able to do for the rest of your life. And it's things that you probably don't even think about because you can do them right now. Most people can do these things right now. There are probably some things on the list that you can't and you should be able to. And maybe we can help talk you into being able to do these things. But it is really things like being able to walk a mile and a half up and down a hill. I think most people can probably do that, right? Carry on a conversation and walk up and down a hill. Do you, you have, have to be rolling a ball while you do it? Like a I giant like a giant globe? You With your nose. Juggling. <laughs> you can get up to juggling while you do that. And I think that's a goal. No, but seriously, goal. walking a mile and a half uphill, it, you know, it sounds like, oh, sure, anybody. It, you know, you, it, it can be difficult. It, it totally can be difficult. And it really just depends on where you are in your journey, right? And, and if you have a disability... You can talk to a physical therapist about doing an equivalent workout, right? Absolutely. But it's a good goal. Think about that. That's not that far. Here's here's how I put a lot of this in perspective. And some of this is in the book because one of these things is being able to lift a 20-pound suitcase and putting it up in an airplane. Think about that first. That's pretty practical. Right? What do you want to that do in retirement? Reason, Number one right? thing people want to do in retirement <laughs> is travel. If you can't walk a mile and a half in an airport and you can't drag that suitcase behind you and you can't lift it and put it up in that overhead bin, there's going to be a problem. And that kind of sucks in retirement. I want to be able to do that the whole time. And by the way, my suitcase always weighs more than 20 pounds. So <laughs> I have a lot of work to do. I know that. Yeah, I, I know that from personal experience because I'm usually the one that's schlepping it. I want to play raucously with my um, great niece and nephew. That's what I want to do. Exactly. That is a big one, right? Playing with your grandkids. That's huge. Being able to lift a grandchild up off the floor. Some people can't do that. That's a big one. And you want to be able to do that like forever and ever and ever. Having sex is one on the list, but it's on the list because you want to be able to think about all the good things that you want to be able to do, opening a jar, hand strength. There's so many things. Your motivator is think about all the things you want to be able to do, and that helps you be motivated to Move. exercise. Yeah, think about those things, and then think about the things that you can do that will allow you to keep doing those. So one of the things that made so much sense to me is, because I love the word fanatical and because I don't think I'm fanatical about anything. I will never be fanatical about dieting. I will never be fanatical about exercising, but moving, doing different things and a variety of things is so important. So you can be that person that goes to the gym every single day and gets on that treadmill or gets on that Stairmaster. And that's what you do every single time. And you don't do any of you. I mean, Yes, it's going to help you. It's going to help you be healthier. It's going to help your heart be stronger. And you want to keep doing that. But if you're not doing other things to help maintain your balance, to help maintain your strength, that's it's just not a good balance. And the whole point of this is everything in moderation. I go back to my mom many years ago, everything in moderation. Well, what you you also said, you know, about not doing the same thing every time, uh, if you if you're on the treadmill every day, for example, it, it's not a reflection of real life. In real life, you're not just doing the same thing over and over and over and over every day. So, um, 
you know, a lot of people will recommend that you do some, um, uh, some strength training uh, once or twice a week, and then some cardio once or twice a week, and you know, really mix it up. And, and I got to be honest with you, I, you know, we can hire a lawn service, but I don't want a lawn service because I like to get out and cut the grass because I replace my cardio one day with cutting our grass. And that takes what, I don't know, hour and a half or something like that. And so those kinds of things you can, you can opt to uh, now that you have more time, you have more time when you're retired. So you can do things like that. You're not racing the clock. You're not, you don't have to hire a landscape service if you can afford to, um, because you have the time to go out and put your own labor into it and move. Just keep right. moving. So, right. There, there is a little thing in here that says that 90 minutes of exercise of like walking quickly, walking fast reduces your risk of dying by 14%. 14%. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It might sound kind of small, but most medicines can't do that for all of those, you know, for all the different things that you can get, you're taking medicine. It won't reduce your risk of dying by that much that quickly. So it's, it isn't that hard. And if you can get it in, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to be an hour of a hard walk every day. It's parking your car at the back of the parking lot and walking 10 minutes into a store. Those little things that, you know, are, they're easy to do. And now they take a little longer. But remember, we have that time now. I mean, I was always that person. I always looked for the closest spot in the parking lot because I was always in a hurry. Greg knows I'm like the beeline queen in a parking lot. <laughs> I would get to the fastest space to get to the closest spot as fast as I could get in and out. I hate shopping. And now like you got to think about, I've got the time and I'm going to take it. Yeah. Like last night we were at a restaurant. She wanted me to park close, but not too close. So I parked all the way on the other side of the parking lot. Just she, to annoy me, by the way, everybody, just to but, annoy me. But we got more that. steps in, right? Yes, we got more steps in. Exactly. So, so, so how, like, a lot of times I'll, I'll, you know, I know I should exercise. And I just go, oh, man, I just don't feel like it today. And so I have a little trick. And I think people can create their own little tricks. My trick is, well, I'm only going to do it for five minutes. Now, I know I'm supposed to do it for 30 minutes. So I just say, well, I only, I'm, I'm just going to make myself start and do it for five minutes. And if I don't feel like it, I'm going to stop. Well, I never stop because the minute I start, for some reason, something kicks in and I just keep going. And the more I do it, the more I like it. And the more, maybe it's, I'm self-competitive or something, I don't know. But I'll usually finish most or all of whatever I had planned, even on the days that I really really feel it. I don't want to do it. And I think that those, you know, for me, that's starting small. I, Jill, you were talking right. about that before. So for me, if I start small in the days, I just don't feel like exercising. Um, it, it works. So you are self-competitive. I am not. I am not. And I agree with that thinking of start with a five minute thing. But I got to say, if I don't have a podcast in my head or listening to a good book, I am bored so fast. So unless I'm with the friend and I can walk and talk with a friend, I have to have a podcast. And I got to tell you, or a, or a book, whatever it is, 
that saves me from, you know, stopping. And that's what keeps me going because I'll get into it and then I'll, I'll be okay. And I don't want to stop when I'm doing that. Well, but that's, that's your the trick. only way I can and, do it. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, everybody has their trick. Jill, do you have uh, any kind of trick that you use for, you know, to get motivated to, to exercise? It's funny because you were over, you were over last weekend and um, we, we had been doing a little partying on the boat. We were pretty sedentary all day. And then I, we came in and it was, it was evening. It was maybe 530 or whatever. And Jill says, we said, well, what do we want to do now? Well, I have to move, yeah. she says. So Jill and Ann went out for a walk. They just, they had to just move. And I think that was pretty cool. So you have something, Jill, that kicks in. I think that I am in my own way about the things that matter to me very disciplined there are many things which i'm not disciplined about at all but if i care about something i am quite disciplined and i walk uh three miles probably about five times a week and i have a very consistent uh yoga practice i don't know what it, I, I just i think i'm lucky to be quite disciplined and i'm also very lucky and privileged to have the time it is such a privilege to be able to take the time to do these things. I live in Evanston, Illinois, which is a, a lakeside community in Illinois. We've got Lake Michigan is a mile from my house. So now here in the summer, I'm trying to swim as much as I can. Uh, I will say this, that there's probably a range of people listening to this podcast. And if you're more on the side of not so into exercise yet, I would say to experiment with things. For me, after my husband died, I had a, um, I was 44 at the time, and I had a friend who owned a Pilates studio. And she basically said, just come, just come as often as you can to Pilates. And she did that to me as a healing. And I would say that for me, I've always exercised throughout my whole life. But at that particular point in life, you still have young kids. It's probably not necessarily if you got young kids and a job, not necessarily your biggest time of exercise. Uh, Pilates for me at that time was like a gateway drug to being healthy because I just felt awesome. like as my core was strengthening, I felt I felt so much stronger at such a weak point in my life. And it did make me want more of that. And I think that if you open yourself up, to anything that interests you, it can be a gateway to better health. What about people who don't have that? You know, I don't, I don't have a friend who owns a Pilates studio and we moved to a place that doesn't have a lot to offer in terms of that, you know, and in retirement, we chose this because we like to play outside and, you know, swimming and boating and kayaking and all that good stuff is great and we love it, but in the winter, how do you how do you think about that? How do you help people think about that? Because I think, you know, it's easy to say, jo join a gym, go to a club. I, I think people should be doing that. But how do you make it feel less threatening, more welcoming? Well, I, you know, one of our friends, uh, when when used to work at the, the big insurance company, he lost uh, like 100 pounds walking at work. Mm -hmm. Now, he was lucky to have a huge campus to walk around on, but um, he he was very 
very dedicated to his 10,000 steps a day. And I remember uh, meeting with him at some points and he would be jumping up from being saying, well, you know, I got to walk to the end of the campus and back because I still have another 2000 steps I have to get in for today. He used to walk in circles around his cubicle. I forgot about that. That was awesome. And what did that lead to? This was a guy, I mean, he was a hundred pounds overweight. And I think now he's a marathon. Now runner. he's a marathon runner. It was amazing. Just, yeah. And now he's younger. He's he's definitely not retired, but he was to me a model that you know small steps, literally in his case, just small steps, just yeah. lots and lots and lots and lots of them. And he and he reached his goal, and it was awesome. Now he's just a really healthy guy. I do love to walk, and in the winter it does pose a problem. And the older you get, it poses a bigger and bigger problem because there's all that ice out there if you're in a cold climate, as right. we are. There's a community center here. I have free access to an indoor track, so I walk indoors. I walk in shopping malls. The last point, and Jill, I don't know if you got to this point in the book, but I loved all of this. I mean, exercise is really to build up your strength so that you you don't have injury and you can consider it like prehab instead of going to rehab, right? I loved that concept. And I loved the concept of thinking about any exercise that you do now, putting it in the bank. And it's sort of like, you know, we're all paranoid and we saved for retirement. This is like saving for retirement in a different way. And it's putting the savings in so that we retire and reserve our health. We reserve our muscle. We reserve our strength. And it's just like putting it in the bank for later because we're only going to decline. There's no getting away from that. That's going to happen. It's no matter what. But if we can make it less and we can start from a higher reserve now, then we're only helping ourselves. And I loved that concept of this kind of retirement savings. And that's how you can think about it. Let's just say as we're going into retirement and you're thinking about keeping your body moving to stay healthy longer, start small if you haven't started already. Think about things that you love to do. Think about things that you're passionate about doing and expand them a little bit. Get to know people who exercise and who would like to exercise with you because quite frankly, I think people who are really into it would love to bring other people into it. So look for those people, get to know those people, ask around, where are they, who are they? And then just learn a little bit more about different things you can do. Don't just focus on one thing. Do a variety of things. Just keep moving like your life depends on it because it does. Stay with us as Greg talks about three different kinds of mental health and how managing your emotional health can increase your mental health span. When we started our talk about this segment, we talked about mental health versus emotional health. And it's not versus because mental health is a larger kind of container. And within it, there's psychological health, which is, you know, how do you perceive the world? Do you perceive it in a healthy way? Um, social health, are you successful at nurturing and maintaining relationships at the appropriate levels of your life? And then there's also emotional health. Now, emotional health is is having both an awareness of your emotions and the ability to manage and express those feelings in an age-appropriate manner. You know, this is this is all kind of pedantic stuff, but I can relate something that happened to me just yesterday. Um, I play music. I have several guitars, but one of them uh, 
is my absolute favorite. I've had it for about 21 years. And it was something that I, a gift that I bought myself after I had a very successful year in business. And through ups and downs in my life, that guitar has been there through health, through emotional circumstance and turmoil, uh, through happy times. And I just love that guitar. And yesterday morning I was playing my guitar uh, and I leaned over to, it was on a strap and I was, I leaned over to touch my iPhone to play along with the track and that strap gave way and it fell on the floor no. and it decimated the front of the guitar. No. Oh yeah. It's a $4,000 guitar and it's completely destroyed. It's even hard for me to talk about it right now, but so handling that, and I can kind of use this as a gauge of this difference between uh, just mental health and emotional health is how did I handle that yesterday? So um, I can tell you that Anne had a little trouble navigating me yesterday, but I did say to her at one point, you know, I don't want to be a baby about this. I, I, it is not the biggest thing in my life. I have my health. I have you. I have a, a wonderful circumstance here. And, uh, you know, we are living the life in retirement. But it was just so, so very hard for me to get past. And I would look at that guitar and I saw the wood just like heaving out of it where it broke. It literally broke the, the top of the guitar. Um, and then uh, our friend who happens to be moving from one place to another on the lake uh, is single. And he had had surgery recently, so he's not quite as physically fit as he could be at this time and he can't really do everything just yet um and ann said well um you know i'm going to go over and and help him uh clean his new place so he can move in because he's he's renting his other place and other people are going to occupy that and so i was at least emotionally healthy enough to say okay greg you can wallow in this or you can go help somebody and you can work that emotional angst out by going to help your friend and make his life better and maybe that'll help you we all suffer you know we all suffer and have pain and it is more like you said greg how how do you deal with these things and i'd like to think that as we get older we're a lot wiser in how we a lot wiser and less childish we accept that things are difficult and that things are going to be difficult and that we're all going to be coming up against things probably more and more but hopefully with some wisdom it's the way we approach them that keep our mind at ease and so the craziest thing happened we went over there and i was still feeling kind of blue and i told uh my friend about it and of course he you know provided the appropriate uh, condolences on on the situation but one of our other friends was there and he said, you know, I have uh, a relative in Nashville who is a master luthier. Now, for those of you who don't know, luthier is a person that builds and repairs guitars. And he said, he's one of the best. And I'll give him a plug. It's Stadler Guitars. Uh, S-T-A-D-L-E-R, guitars in Nashville. And by the way, I've had an experience 
to play a Stadler and they're fantastic, brilliantly fantastic instruments. And so he said, uh, I'll give you uh, Stadler's number and, and, you know, just tell him you're my friend and, and maybe he'll, he'll fix you up. So just through this transference of emotional energy from the angst I was feeling to helping someone actually brought some good fortune. And I don't know if this is just coincidence or if it's reward, I guess I'll call it. But I think it comes from the moral of the story is don't wallow in it. Share your story with other people. Get it off your chest and good things will happen. I Exactly. And, and so I was feeling my way. It felt like I was feeling my way through the dark. But the one thing I did know is that to wallow in it, to, to lay in that and not move is, is a reaction. It's like a normal state. You just, you want to bear hug that pain and to crawl out of that pain. Like Jill was saying, this is work. And so to try to do something positive, to, to bring a different, literally bring a different world around you, wrap yourself in a different world is an example of how to uh, gauge your emotional health. If you feel severe changes in mood, if you feel a lack of energy, um, if you overeat or undereat or you have insomnia or you have excessive sleeping habits or increased use of drugs and alcohol or anything like that, you can tell you're kind of off balance with your emotional health. So a few things that I've learned to do as a matter of practice, and I have to do it kind of rote because you don't feel like doing it as a reaction. So to fight the reaction, I've got a little list of things that I do. One, don't dwell. Let the past rest in peace. Instead, focus on the future, the things that bring you joy, traveling, visiting friends, a walk in the park, your grandkids shopping, uh, anything that makes you happy, just don't dwell on the past, move into the future. I think grat gratitude is huge. It is an instant fix for me because when I think about like every night before I go to bed, you know, think about, and you could write them down if you want to, I don't, but you could write them down. Think of three things you're grateful for events that have happened, family, friends, food, home, uh, you know, anything that, that gives you a feeling of security and joy, because I got to tell you the minute especially on days when you feel, you know, life is happening to you. You've heard the thing about you. Some days you're the bug and some days you're the windshield. Well, on the days you feel that you're the bug, um, gratitude will instantly turn that around. All of a sudden, all of the bad things seem smaller and all the good things seem bigger. You can sleep better. It's awesome. Then the next thing is create structure. For me, um, a routine doesn't have to be boring or, or confining. You set up a routine that you look forward to, getting up, breakfast, exercise, social uh, interactions, uh, meditation. And then I find for me, my day is my structure isn't complete without productivity. I need to feel productive. It's different for everybody. I mean, it could be getting stuff done around the house that's been bothering you or uh, with me, it's like I need to to learn a song, uh, play guitar, learn a song, or I need to, to, you know, any project that we've got hanging fire around here, I'll, you know, just get one step further. Learning also falls into a similar category as being productive. Learning new things regularly 
empowers you and helps preserve mental acuity. Learning a new skill like welding or woodworking or interior design or learning a song or a craft or a game or a language, you know, just go to YouTube for inspiration. The world is your oyster, as our daughter Kristen always reminds us. And then also meditate daily. Now, if you don't meditate, and it doesn't have to be like a, a huge spiritual thing, it's just quieting your soul. It's just getting into a state where you can access yourself. There's a million different kinds of guided meditation on Apple Music or on YouTube or whatever. And you can access those and, and just, you know, get into the one that makes you feel the most comfortable. You'll be surprised at the attitude adjustment that you can get from a few minutes of meditation. And do it regularly, and it does stick with you. And then also, you know, as Jill and Anne have been talking about, exercise and eat well. And figure out um, what agrees with you. Start small. Don't force yourself to do anything that you hate to do unless it's absolutely necessary. Focus on the long run. Educate yourself. And if you do these things and you still can't find happiness and peace, then find a great therapist to help you find it. Because it's there. It's in you. You are in control. That wraps up our episode on HealthSpan. Be sure to check out the book Outlive by Peter Atia, available on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've given you some useful information on how to enjoy your retirement and be less paranoid. Subscribe to our podcast to get updates when we drop new episodes.